Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, the listeners may or may not know that I work at a Christian media company. What? Yeah. And so a lot of my job entails staying up to date on the latest religious news and particularly news that bears some sort of relevance to Christians in one way or another. And this past week, I came across a story that really it fascinated me because it kind of involves a lot of the things that we've been discussing recently on the podcast surrounding religious liberty in America. And it just so happens that this group that is involved in it isn't a Christian organization. And in fact, the, it kind of caused a stir, this non-Christian group did, because they were responding to a Christian event that was being held on school grounds, on a public school grounds. Uh, in a school in Pennsylvania, a high school. And uh, this local church, they were sponsoring a back-to-school prayer and worship night. And so they were allowed to use the the school facility uh, because the school district isn't allowed to discriminate with regard to who rents the facilities uh, based on gender, race, religion, and that kind of stuff. So as long as like the renters uh, meet the predetermined criteria, uh, they get to use the space. And so this organization was like, well, if that's the case, and this Christian organization is going to hold a back-to-school event for prayer and whatever, we're going to have an event of our own. And it just so happens that the organization that was sponsoring an after-school, uh, back-to-school event was the After School Satan Club, Oh, which is sponsored right. by the Satanic Temple. Okay. Yep. I can see the intrigue in this story. Absolutely. Yeah. So then by the same law that allowed the Christian group to hold their event— the Satanists were allowed to hold their group. And as I look further into this after-school Satan club that's sponsored by the Satanic Temple, uh, I looked into the Satanic Temple, and I found that they're actually a pretty interesting group, and not in all the ways that you would expect. So I thought today it would be fun if we looked at the life and history of the Satanic Temple, uh, how they're interacting with Christians in the public sphere, and then maybe a little bit about how we should respond as Christians to them and all the things that they're doing. I think you need to redefine what fun is. It's going to be fun, and we'll dive into it in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Okay, so part of the reason why I found this story about the after-school Satan Club in Pennsylvania interesting is because it actually wasn't the first time I had heard about them. Uh, back in February, I learned about the after-school Satan Club for the first time when they were setting up an after-school program in a school district in Illinois. And part of the reason that one was such a big deal and it made headlines was because it was actually at an elementary school. And uh, one local resident was quoted as saying, they took God out of the schools and now they're letting Satan in, which is like, that's a, that's a headline right there. Yeah. And so the reason for this after-school Satan Club, and they kind of have uh, different chapters 
of this program in different districts uh, around the nation is that it was a response to uh, evangelical Bible study programs that were being you know, offered as after-school programs at various schools. And so they wanted to, the Satanist Club, the Satan, Satan, Satanic Temple, they brought their program as an alternative to increase, quote, religious representation. Are they actually calling it the Satan Club? Yes. Yeah, like, is that their marketing for children to attend this after-school program? It's literally called the After-School Satan Club. Okay. Because I, I could see if the like overarching name, like the umbrella name is the Satanic Temple, and you know they call it the Satan Club, but that's not exactly how they're appealing to people to bring them to this club. But it sounds like that's the name, and that's what it goes by, and that's what people are responding to. Yes. Okay. Because it sounds really scary. Yes. Like, do you want your son attending the after-school like, Satan Whether club? I'm a Christian or not, that is something to be alarmed At by. At the right? very least, it's a yellow flag, if not a, if not a, red. a deep red flag. <laughs> so, like, what are these crazy Satanists trying to do to our children? But if you actually look into it, uh, the program, the after-school program, there's actually no religious teaching offered at the after-school Satan Club. Uh, but what they do offer is self-guided activities such as science and craft projects, puzzles and games, and they off- also offer lessons in benevolence, empathy, critical thinking, and creativity. So when you kind of look at their slate of activities and what they provide, you're like, hey, that actually sounds pretty great. Like, if you just take Satan out of the name, right, this so sounds like something I'd want to send my son to. The most offensive thing so far about what we're learning is their name. And maybe they're doing that out of spite against Christians because it sounds like their entire movement or if they're calling themselves a religion, I'm not sure. Um, but the entire reason for their religion is just to make Christians mad and then just do some common good. I mean, it doesn't sound like they're actually trying to push a satanic agenda. It's like they are and they aren't because okay. Satan is definitely in the name. So what I did is I did some research on the kind of umbrella organization, which is the Satanic Temple. And uh, here's what I found. So the Satanic Temple was founded in 2012 by Lucian Graves and Malcolm Jerry. Lucian Graves, that's a great name for a Satanist. And it's actually a fake name, as you might have guessed. Lucian as in Lucifer? Yes. And Graves as in like from the grave or something like what I mean the... it's spelled G R E A V E S Okay so maybe not quite So it might be Greaves Graves either way it sounds a little yeah. bit dark He actually started going by that name uh because he and his family had received numerous death threats um from Christians and conservatives From Christians Christians y- were threatening this person's life I mean, they might have called themselves Christians. Okay. They yeah. identified that way. But certainly in the more conservative sphere. I can't remember his name. They, I couldn't find his real name. Uh, his I was able to establish that his real first name is Douglas. Uh, and yeah, there's a couple of different last names that I could see him having gone by. But yeah, Douglas is a lot less menacing than, than Lucian. Yeah, and if you like, look at a picture of him, he, it looks like he has like uh, blindness in one eye. So he has like this dark, cloud in his left eye and he like wears all black and he's got like leather wristbands he's kind of like oh so he's leaning into yeah so it looks okay. like like someone who's like in a metal band and his name is lucian graves or lucian greaves okay i'm looking at him now yep yeah i see that i <laughs> yeah, mean he, he's wearing gray in this picture but okay he, he looks kind of scary right slightly no yeah, a little bit. With, I mean, the 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 appearance with the name, with the association of what he founded. Douglas Messner. That's one of the names. There's a couple different oh, last names that I found God, for him. Okay, okay. Uh, but this group, the Satanic Temple, is actually different from the Church of Satan. And the Church of Satan is kind of like credited with being like the founders of Satanism as a movement, religion, belief system. Uh, they were founded back in the 1960s. And the Satanic Temple, which is in 2012, they share kind of some similar foundational beliefs as the Church of Satan, but they're really a lot more public-facing, uh, and they're a lot more politically engaged. So whereas like the Church of Satan has this focus more on like sort of a personal journey of self-empowerment, uh, the Satanic Temple kind of takes that to the public sphere, and they're focused a lot on religious liberty advocacy and personal autonomy kind of in uh, a political sense and in a public sense. Um, but what's interesting is that neither group, the Church of Satan or who we're talking about today, the Satanic Temple, actually believes in the biblical Satan. Like they don't think that Satan is actually real. 
And so the Satanic Temple, it's really more of like a secular humanist group, a kind of an atheistic group that more than like a straight up religious institution. And so they employ satanic imagery more in like in, as like a literary device. Uh, and in the sense of like in the original Hebrew, the word Satan means adversary. That's kind of exactly how they see themselves. They kind of exist in opposition to what they see as kind of like this arbitrary religious authority structure that has been sitting in a place of dominance in America, uh, namely Christianity. Uh, but they would say that they aren't necessarily anti-Christian per se. They're more just opposed to the idea that any one religion would have dominance or hegemony over kind of a governmental social structure. So in America, that means mm. okay. yeah. re- removing Christianity from its place of relative privilege. And their big values are kind of skepticism, uh, rationalism, and personal autonomy. So in, in a lot of senses, they're kind of more along the lines of an atheistic group. Or right. Of like, I don't know if you heard of uh, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Yes. yes. Which is actually the spokesperson of that group. And their big like separation of church and state uh, organization is actually uh, Ronald Reagan's son. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. It is okay. interesting. Huh. Like in their promotional yeah. material, you hear about like the evils of uh, like a blurring of separation of church and state and Christian supremacy. But it's like in a voice that's like reminiscent of like the city on a hill speech because oh. it kind of sounds like his dad. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, but for the Satanic Temple, really, they're kind of like the freedom from religion foundation just with kind of like cooler branding. Like if you're into heavy metal. Uh And just so the fact that they use satanic imagery, the fact that that frightens and enrages conservative Christians, that's really just kind of like an added bonus in their mind. Okay. But they are a, they do present themselves as a religious organization, which is an interesting thing. And in 2019, the Satanic Temple, they filed for tax-exempt status as a religious institution. And the the reason and the way that they did this is actually super ironic, uh, because they had previously been hesitant to file for that tax-exempt status um, because of their kind of political engagement and their advocacy for certain policies and politicians that might have you know, disqualified them from that tax-exempt status. Uh, however, after President Trump signed that executive order to loosen the requirements of the Johnson Amendment uh, a few years back, uh, they felt like it was safe to do so. Now, the Johnson Amendment, it was originally put in place in like 1954, or something like that, to keep churches and religious institutions from campaigning for or against political candidates. And the reason and the way that they went about that is they threatened to take away their tax exempt status. But Trump wanted to loosen those requirements so that uh, high profile evangelical preachers and pastors could campaign for him without fear of reprisal. But then when he loosened that, it also opened the door for something like the Satanic Temple to now say, hey, we can get that tax-exempt status because those requirements are now a little bit looser. I think what's so interesting about everything you've shared so far is it all feels a lot like a, just a giant, not a joke, but like in, in a lot of ways they're doing it to be funny and to make people upset. I, at least the conservative Christians. Like it sounds like this whole thing was started out of spite and really to push conservative Christians to the edge. Um, And then everything they're doing, at least so far in what you've listed, it wouldn't really outrage Christians. Um, Like their programs doesn't sound like it's as outrageous as their name is and even the symbolism that they like to use. Um, So was this whole thing started really just to make Christians upset? Was that like, was that the reason behind it? And then maybe it actually grew into, oh, great. Like we're teaching our kids science and um, I don't know, all the other things you listed. But was it created out of spite for or really out of spite against Christians? It's interesting because the founders of the Satanic Temple and a lot of other Satanist groups, there's a lot of different groups that have kind of sprung up around this. They would say, no. They didn't do it out of spite to Christians, but it's also kind of like tongue in cheek because it's like. But they, why choose they, Satan? Because obviously within the Christian religion, Satan is the greatest adversary. So why is that the choice of the symbol of your religion if it's not out of spite of Christians? Yeah. So they would admit that there's an element of satire 
to it. Um, but there's also like a lot of sincerity of belief that is bound up in that. So it's interesting because it's mm, like yeah. they um, and there's like a whole philosophy around like this symbol of Satan being adversarial against but they don't believe a spiritual. In him, right? No, it's more this the idea of Satan okay. is lives in rebellion to the established yep. religious uh, authority structure. And so it's kind of like this interesting kind of play yeah. on it. And they, they are kind of like tongue in cheek about it. It kind of seems okay. like where it's like satire, but it's also serious. Um, but it's not um, spiritual in any so, real sense. So what do they actually believe? Like what do they, there has to be some foundation of something they hold to or what ties them together as a religion. So they actually have seven different tenets that they live by uh the church of satan which was founded in the 60s they had like nine statements but the satanic temple has seven tenets that they hold to the first one is one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason the second one is the struggle for justice is ongoing and a necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions the third one is that one's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. The fourth one is the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon freedoms of another is to forego one's own. The fifth one is that beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's own beliefs the sixth one is that people are fallible if one makes a mistake one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that may have been caused and the last one is that every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and in thought the spirit of compassion wisdom and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word so those are the seven tenants of their religion, quote-unquote. Which is interesting because we would probably have to quibble over the definitions of certain things and uh, the practical implications of how they play these things out. Mm -hmm. But, like, by and large, a a lot of these is is like, oh, these sound pretty good. Yeah, the list of things is not as offensive and jarring as their name. And, and, yeah, I mean, even just the Satan Club as an after-school program for elementary school children is rather jarring. Um, But if these are the things that they're upholding and trying to carry out through programs or however their religion like takes shape and takes form, uh, it's not as offensive. But you still have to think the heart behind someone to choose a name and choose a symbol that is geared towards making another religious group angry like they're not as innocent as their tenants make them sound to be yeah and a lot of these tenants sound pretty good but as we'll see as we kind of look at some of their social impact over the years um they kind of take them those tenants kind of take them to places that christians would absolutely disagree with okay in certain positions but they actually take them in other places in different situations that christians are like oh okay like i, I don't know if i have a strong argument against what you're trying to do right in this particular instance. Yeah. So it's kinda, that makes sense. I mean, there, as you list those seven things, they sound like good things for our world and for our society. They don't sound like what you would imagine is like, let's build altars to Satan and start sacrificing goats or whatever. Yeah. 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 They and do celebrate blood and stuff. Yeah. They do celebrate five holidays and one of them, as Let you me might guess. imagine. Halloween. Yeah. yeah. And the other uh, four were stuff I didn't even recognize. It's like, oh, it was this ancient ritualistic fertility holiday in ancient uh, Germany. I wonder if they decided to say these are our official holidays to like lean into their name and the symbolism. Like we have to choose some pretty outlandish holidays that need to be our holidays. To like live up to the satire of what we're doing. Yeah, that's pretty much seems like what it is because they wouldn't even believe in like what the original that, belief system was like Halloween is because they're right. like materialists. They don't believe yeah. they're atheistic. 
Yeah. And so they don't believe because in souls coming back Because there's a lot of spiritualism like behind Halloween. And this whole other one that, I mean, I don't know anything about it, but if you're talking about any kind of an ancient holiday like in relation to a stuff. fertility yeah. god, that is also seems very spiritual. So for them to hold these five holidays that are rooted in very spiritual realms, um, it just seems quite the opposite of these seven tenets that they hold to. Yeah. So. So let's take a look at some of the things they've done in the public sphere, which kind of differentiates them as a satanic group from, say, uh, the Church of Satan and other things like that. We'll do that in just a moment. Okay, so when we look at what the satanic temple has done in terms of their public activity and advocacy, uh, they've actually been engaged in a number of humanitarian and philanthropic efforts that seem to have done some kind of good. Uh, one is that they have what they call a sober faction, which is a program for those who are recovering from addiction. So on the face of it, that seems like a good thing. Uh, they just kind of do it in a way that promotes self-empowerment rather than appealing to a higher power like, say, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or any of the other Anonymouses or, say, the, the Christian Celebrate Recovery or anything like that. Um, but they are uh, engaged in trying to help people with addiction recovery. Uh, in 2014, they launched what they called Project Protect Children, which was a campaign to support children who may be at risk for being subjected to mental or physical abuse in school by teachers or administrators through the use of uh, punishments like solitary confinement, restraints, or corporal punishment. And I actually looked it up. Corporal punishment that is legal still in 19 out of the 50 states. Wow. And solitary confinement for children? Yeah. Wow. So I guess in some of these more, I, typically I think I, in more red states like okay. Texas and mm -hmm. some other st states in the South, um, there's still these practices in place in certain schools and school districts that are actually pretty fairly abusive. And right. the and satanic temple is like, hey, you need to stop that. And so these are in schools. Yes, like in, in public like... schools, not private schools, public schools. Wow. Okay. I mean, that sounds like a really good program. I didn't even know that was happening Anywhere in our country. And what's interesting is they're doing this good thing, like, no, you shouldn't beat kids and put them yeah. in solitary confinement in school. And, like, restrain them. And the people that they're going up against are, by and large, Republican Christians. Oof. So it, it's, like, this yeah. really interesting thing. That's rough. In 2015, they made headlines because they were offering to take in uh, Muslim refugees amid uh, – there was a widespread – uh, suspicion among many Americans during that time of refugees that uh, came from a right. Muslim background because there was a series of terrorist attacks in Paris, yeah. and so there was a lot of people just saying like, "Hey, we don't, we don't, we want don't want to, yeah, we don't want to take any of these refugees because what if they are like the Taliban in hiding or something?" I yeah. remember that. I remember all the arguments and people being very afraid and just yeah, just a lot of fear. And the I didn't, yeah, and the, the satanic trouble is like, fine, we'll take them. If yeah. nobody wants them, hmm. you can stay with us, which is like a really interesting thing. And all these kind of tie back to their uh, their kind of core. Um, their seven tenets. Tenant of okay. like bodily autonomy that like um, that you should be free from mm -hmm. being abused or mm -hmm. uh, that you should move freely out of a country where you're in physical danger. Um, and so those have kind of come out in these humanitarian efforts. Well, and they're, I mean, I think you said their number one tenant and maybe it was an order of priority, just an order, um, but that they will act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. And so it sounds like these things that you just stated are exactly that. Like there's compassion and empathy in a way that might even require sacrifice of their own safety or of their own, you know, security or just sacrifice of themselves in whatever way that might look like. Yeah, if you look so, on their website and any of their literature, which I was browsing through, it's like has all these like pentagrams and black and red. Yeah. But then it's all talking about like empathy and compassion and humanitarian effort. So it's like it's like super jarring. It's super weird. Uh, so they've done some philanthropic things, but they have done some other things that were questionable at best. And one that was a big one was in 2013. Uh, they held what they called a pink mass following the Boston Marathon bombing. And it wasn't in response to the bombing itself. It was in response to the response of the Westboro Baptist Church, um, the famous Westboro Baptist Church of people who are uh, not really Baptist and, and not really a church. Um, but they had 
uh, protesters that were going to picket the funeral of several people who had died in the Boston uh, bombing uh, at the Boston Marathon. Uh, because to Westboro, the bombing was a sign of God's judgment because Massachusetts was the first state in the union to legalize same-sex marriage. So it was Westboro that was picketing the funerals? Yeah, they Not were picketing the funerals. They said, you shouldn't honor temple. these people. This okay. was God's judgment because you allowed gay marriage. Even though the people that there were funerals for were not homosexuals? Exactly. That didn't matter at all. That didn't matter. It was matter. just the state. It was in the state of okay. Massachusetts. Okay. And most of the people didn't even live in Massachusetts. <laughs> you know, wow. they're coming in well, from out of town. Well, because it's a marathon. Yeah. Okay. And so, the Boston Marathon. Yes. Of all marathons. Yes. Okay. So what the Satanic Temple did in response to Westboro Baptist, they held a, uh, quote, a proxy mass. And they took okay. this from uh, a... I think they were inspired by certain segments of the Latter-day Saints. They do like a post-hosthumous baptism of people who have died. Can you explain what that means? Uh, So after someone has died, they want to have them baptized. And so they have this kind of proxy baptism ceremony. Okay. And is that for salvation? I think so. Okay. I didn't look into it terribly deeply. Okay. Other than to understand that what they were trying to do was a proxy mass, uh, but they were trying to do it for the mother of Westboro Baptist Church's founder. Oh. But they weren't trying to baptize her. Oh, no. Uh, They were trying to perform some kind of posthumous sexual orientation transition ceremony. I don't because think they were actually of, trying to do it. Okay, but that the reason that's what they were choosing is because of Westboro Baptist's response to the legalization of homosexuality. Yes. Right? Yeah, and okay. the way that they do that was dishonoring the people who had died at the Boston Right, bombing. so it's now, um, what do you call it, where it's like, you're going to do this offensive thing, and now I'm going to match it. Yeah, it's like other, tit for tat. Tit for tat. That's the uh, But the I was ceremony. Say tit for tat? Nope. Yeah, the, the ceremony itself was two uh, men kissing near her grave while Lucian Greaves uh, touched uh, oh. the tombstone with his genitals and chanted an incantation that, I guess, historically, mm-hmm. through Wiccans and Satanists okay. of the past, was meant to change somebody's sexual orientation. Oh. And so, I mean, that's pretty offensive, yeah. Yeah. yeah so the move actually earned him a misdemeanor charge, and if he ever returns to Lauderdale County, Mississippi, he will be arrested. Okay. And when Westboro Baptist Church's founder himself died, they did this to his mother on his mother's grave. Oy. And when he died, they had plans to go and do the same thing to him on his grave, uh, but they never ended up actually doing that. So that one is just like a real... That's so bizarre. It's such a bizarre. It's, it's bizarre. It's offensive, and it's petty. And that's actually not expressing empathy and compassion, like they talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, they would say in some roundabout way that they are because they are fighting for the people. Like, yeah, they are shaming okay. the people who are trying to shame people for who their are sexual gay. orientation. Yeah. Okay. So I guess in in their own internal logic it is, but it it's it's a pretty weird situation. Um, the other thing about the Satanic Temple is that they've also been uh, a staunch supporter of abortion access. Again, as they see bodily autonomy as chief among their values, yeah. and in their worldview of bodily autonomy, the the infant is not a person inside a, a woman's womb. Uh, and so, since the enactment of the Texas Heartbeat Act. And the fall of Roe v. Wade, they've been trying to find a way to leverage religious exemptions to offer women access to abortion in states where they're no longer legal or they're oh. no, longer, no longer legal after a certain um, so stage. So they're going to try and create something that says my religion requires me to abort this baby? Yeah, Would so that be the They're frame framing it as a religious ritual. They're framing abortion as abortion? a religious right. It's just a right, or this is what everyone no, right like R I T E, like a religious ordinance. So then, every woman who is within the satanic temple needs to have an abortion if it's a ritual that women do. Not that it's not that it's required, but that if they choose to do so, it's a religious experience, and then therefore should be protected under the First Amendment. Okay, so. 
it's you don't want to make light of anyone's religion, but is this somehow becoming a loophole that they're trying That's to what they're create, trying to do even though it's not really a religious ceremony or any kind of a religious event for them because it's only now becoming something they're doing because they're trying to find a religious exemption for it, right? Essentially, yeah, they're trying okay. to work they're trying to work the system. Got it. So uh, they're just trying to find a loophole and work it into their religion so that way hopefully they can win this. Yeah, and there's a lot of people saying that they, what they're doing is actually um could be dangerous to women because if they do come and under this quote-unquote religious exemption, it's not it doesn't hold up in a court of law that now those women are in uh in violation of the law and there could be all kinds of legal messes that result oh, from that because okay. they're legally on pretty flimsy unprecedented ground. Yeah. Um so like that's a whole thing but they're framing abortion as a religious experience mm-hmm. which in itself is um it's pretty horrifying. It's pretty satanic. It's pretty yep. it's pretty antichrist. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of apart from that they have also sought to insert themselves in situations uh where kind of a, a civil Christian religion is present or even any kind of shades of it um, really to highlight how Christianity has been privileged in America. And so they can be pretty antagonistic. Um, So, you know, the after school Satan club is, you know, maybe it's a good social program maybe, but it was, it was birthed out of a desire to really stick it to the Christians. Um, And they've done that in a couple of other different kind of settings. Like after a law was signed in Florida that served to protect student-led prayers in schools, the Satanic Temple that came out as a proud supporter of Satanist prayers, because in the the law, there was nothing that stated that it needed to be a prayer of a specific religion. So they made this big public bugaboo about, you know, Satanist kids leading Satanic prayers. They've also tried to give the invocation at the Scottsdale, Arizona City Council meeting. Um, and they're currently, I think, still engaged in a legal battle over that. So, like, when you ha- have, like, a city council meeting, I've done this as a pastor, where they have someone, a local minister, come and give the invocation. It's supposed to be non-sectarian or, you know, non-denominational. Um, but, like, if you're a pastor, you still pray in Jesus' name and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to butt up against it. Like, well, why can't one of our Satanist ministers do that do okay and they're like no absolutely not we're gonna have the baptist minister do it because you don't actually have a congregation local embedded to this community and so they created some kind of barrier that way that was kind of like they kind of pulled that one out of thin air um so that's why there's like a legal battle going back and forth but their their effort there is essentially to antagonize right they don't care about the the city council. Right, yeah. They're just trying to make people mad. Okay. And then in another one, in response to a monument uh, to the Ten Commandments, those being placed outside the Oklahoma State Capitol, the Satanic Temple, they crowdfunded an eight-and-a-half-foot-tall statue of Baphomet. And now Baphomet's like the satanic symbol with the horns, and it's like some kind of goat or something. It's not a goat. It's something else. I can't remember, but it's a it's a weird-looking Satanist thing. Uh, they So they built that thing, and they're petitioning to have it enshrined in some public governmental space because they're saying if you can put the christian 10 commandments then you why can can't put we our put, baphomet yeah okay and so they've done similar things you know in different ways and in different states uh, around the country uh essentially to try and highlight uh where there might be a lack of separation of church and state and where the way that they've gone about doing that is pretty um i mean it grabs the headlines it brings attention to the issue i mean it's certainly uh a lot more eye grabbing than you know the freedom from religion foundation like circulating a petition like it's it's just there's a lot more intrigue to it and so uh while they would say that they're not anti-christian they do a lot of things to um antagonize christians um particularly in the public sphere so at, that's the satanic temple in all of its glory, all of its warts Ooh, and all, all yeah. of its baphomets and all. Um, but the reason I kind of wanted to talk about this is that there's such a mixed bag, um, and it's tough to come back from a satanic image. But in light of all this, how do you think we should respond to like the satanic temple like if the satanic temple sponsored an event that came to like our local municipality or our local school district where our sons ends up going and there's like an after school satan club like what like what do you think like the christian 
response to that should be? That's a really loaded question. I feel like we should have started the podcast with that. So it could have run. Well, I wanted to make it real complicated first. uh, Exactly. So that the answer is like not Uh, easy. Well, it's not easy because as you think of the freedom to attach yourself to any religious organization, um, obviously Christians benefit from that freedom because we are able to carry out our religious beliefs. Um, without any kind of penalty, without any kind of um, judgment or restrictions for the most part. And with the benefit of religious freedom comes also the diversity of other religions to have those same kinds of freedoms. And so in the same way, there are definitely different religions that Christianity uh, not only doesn't agree with, but cannot support the fundamental principles of those religions. I mean, you you think of so many other religions that are out there that some people don't even know aren't Christian religions. But when you look at what is the foundation of these religions, Christianity does not support them. I think this new religion falls under that same thing where certainly we can't support this thing um, and we can't support this religion that's happening. But, I mean, the messiness of freedom of religion is that other religions are allowed to exist within the country. So if there was, say, like three different clubs at the local school, there was like the Christian after-school program, there was um, some version of a a Muslim after-school program, and there was the after-school Satan club. And there was like this petition circulating that the satanic temple sponsored club should be shut down because of whatever harm to community or society they're doing. Would you sign that petition or would you be reticent to say like, well, I don't know if we should really mess with them. I think my thought would be the same as you survey, whatever my three options of these religious clubs are, what is happening in these religious clubs? um, And are they a harm for our community? Right. And so if what's happening within these religious clubs is not a harm for our community, then I'm not sure I would sign that. Um, And I think it also goes back to certainly you're going to have the fear of a parent. Right. Is this something my kid's going to be in? Uh, What are they going to be learning about in this club? But there is a responsibility as a parent for you to be able to navigate your role as not only a parental figure, but also a spiritual like leader within your home. And there are a lot of things that are going to be happening within the schools that are going to come up against and butt up against what we believe as Christians. And I truly believe that it's our job as parents to have those conversations with our kids, to guide them, to pray over them, to, to do whatever we can to point them in the right direction. Um, but we're not going to be able to sign petitions and knock everything out that goes against Christianity. That's going to be in the world around our kids. And so is there an opportunity to maybe pull something out of our school that we think is really harmful, not only to our own kids, but to every kid in attendance at that school, then certainly we should be signing that petition. But if it's purely because um, it has the name Satan in it, like I might have a hard time saying everyone needs to rally against this and get it and sign it. Um, I mean, maybe I'm signing petitions against every other religion. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you put me into a really hard situation here. But I think the core of what we have to remember is there's so much in our world that is going to go against the Christian faith. And our job as parents is not to um, do everything to eliminate those things because then what's going to happen when your kids are not under your protection anymore, right? Like what's going to happen when they are outside of like what you can manage and what you can control and have you equipped your kids and have you trained your kids in the ways of the Lord so that they can rationally think for themselves and, and hopefully everything you've taught them can become their guiding force and and their use of wisdom and the Holy Spirit can work in them. 
Um, yeah, I just have a hard time with saying anything that's against Christianity. We have to do our best to knock it out of our kids' lives and knock it out of our own lives. Yeah, I think, I mean, if it was for me, unless the group was doing something. Like if they're doing some satanic if, worship, absolutely no. Like if they're, my kids drinking blood. Yeah, I or think something wild. if they're actually advocating for something violent or Thank you. Violence. Ab- abusive yeah. or harmful. I think that's where um, we butt up against the the edges of religious liberty. Now there's people that will quibble about, you know, what what can constitutes harmful or abusive or violent, because you know people would petition against Christians in that sense of like um, being pro life. That's mm-hmm. oppressive. Okay. Da, 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 and this yeah. and that. So there is some ideological uh, kind of messiness to that. But I think by and large. Um, I probably wouldn't sign the petition trying to get them out. Um, I certainly would never send anybody there. I certainly would have be maybe outspoken about the dangers of what it is that they're teaching. You know, even if this is good things like, like bodily autonomy to a certain extent, that's something I can support, but there are limits to that because I don't think bodily autonomy, uh, is, is a supreme, uh, thing that we should champion for in all the ways that they do, whether it be through uh, abortion or kind of a, a just anything goes kind of sexual ethic. And I think kind of where the rubber meets the road is it is kind of a test of our belief in religious liberty and the First Amendment value of not establishing a state religion. Like the question is, like with everything they stand for, do we still believe in religious liberty for everybody? In an ideal world, no. You wouldn't, but we're not living in an ideal world. And if you say we no longer care about religious liberty, then you have to realize that also means for Christians. Right. And I think anytime we want to shift away from that understanding of what's in our constitution to have this ability to freely practice your religion regardless of what it is we run into kind of undermining our own freedoms and i just don't think that's a good a good place to be is where you have intentionally undermined your own freedoms so that you can eliminate other religions and honestly that also leans into just a very fear-based mentality that if our religion of Christianity is not the only one flourishing, then we are all at risk of some kind of spiritual harm. I think that's a lot of like the thinking behind it, right? Is sure we want religious freedom, but we only want it for Christians. But that's just not how it works. Like that's not religious freedom. That's one religion running the entire nation. And like we said on one of, I think it was last week's podcast, that having one religion run an entire nation is not as idealistic as it sounds, right? Uh, to have Christian principles and morals and ethics be the driving force behind a nation. Um, we have seen through history and Christian history, the church history, it doesn't end well. And I would always be cautious of starting to limit religious freedom for the gain of our own religion. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of easy to be for religious liberty when the general culture of the nation is kind of under the umbrella of Judeo-Christian values, as it had been um, for, you know, a couple of centuries, where, I mean, we can kind of quibble with, like, was it really a Judeo-Christian moral ethic when we had slavery and segregation and, what you know, oppression of women, whatever it might be. But generally speaking, um, it was – we were having these arguments within kind of a framework of Christendom, and within that – it's kind of easy to say, like, yes, I believe in religious freedom, that you can be Catholic, or you can be Protestant, or you can be yeah. <laughs> uh, Latter-day yeah. Saints, Those or you can be Jehovah's the, Witness, right. where they all, like, more or less look the same. Like, they're different, you know, a couple of those aren't even really 
Christian religions, I wouldn't uh, consider them to be, whether it's, you know, LDS or Jehovah's Witness, but they still are close enough to the umbrella family of Christendom that it's kind of easy to say, ah, of course we support their religious liberty. I think where the it's getting, you know, increasingly squeamish to support religious liberty is as we turn into more of a pluralistic society where there are more uh, Muslim Americans that um, that that are are seeking to live out their religion in in a way that's you know peaceful in the way that they think is a way that's going to lead to their flourishing and the flourishing of their community and other religious groups. And I think the uh, the Satanic Temple in in many ways it's actually accomplishing its goal in that it's highlighting something of a double standard that. Uh, many Christians have have had when it comes to religious liberty. It's like, yeah, you can have religious liberty so long as you're some form of a Christian. And um, they're kind of testing and showcasing where like like maybe we don't believe it as strongly as we have said that we do. And when you say we, we mean America. American Christians, Maybe American Christians don't actually believe in religious freedom for all. They believe in religious freedom for Christians or things that look like Christianity. And some have come out strongly recently and they've said that, whether it be John MacArthur says, we can't support religious freedom, we support the truth. Or uh, Robert Jeffress of Dallas First Baptist, um, kind of this huge megachurch in in uh, Texas, and he was a staunch uh, supporter of Donald Trump and kind of one of his spiritual advisors, uh, where he, he said that basically when uh, the First Amendment is talking about, you know, freedom of religion and uh, and not establishing establishing a state religion like that was all under the assumption that we're more or less a Christian nation, and that separation of church and state was something that was imposed upon us by a liberal Supreme Court, and it's not something that we should support. That we should privilege uh, Christian values and, and the Christian religion over and above different traditions uh, and different religions in our society. And so there's like some people that are like saying like, yeah, we, you got me. I don't believe in religious liberty. Um, but then there are others who say, yes, it, it's self-defeating for us not to continue to support religious liberty. Even when the people who are, are, are we're fighting for their liberty, um, they really are, are not the kind of value systems that we want to be a part of our society. Um, but if we limit them uh, and kind of put, put them in an iron grip, that's the iron grip that we may one day um, be putting ourselves be into. putting ourselves in yeah and, and I can see the argument on both sides I can see how Christian can say no I I cannot in good conscience say I support religious freedom because understanding supporting religious freedom might also mean accepting other religions are um, truthful or have some truth merit and as Christians, one of our foundations is that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. And so if that is the case, then all of these other religions are not true religions. Um, But does that then automatically mean we have to limit their role and their effect and what they're able to practice? And we've seen the church grow when it's not the dominating religion. There are so many other countries where the church is rapidly growing and Jesus is transforming communities. And that religion is not the dominant religion. It's actually the one that's people are physically sacrificing their lives for the sake of Christianity. And so I see there's a great benefit of having religious freedom because we can freely share our faith and we can freely evangelize and we can freely talk about our faith and freely live it out. Um, but again, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. That's hard. It's so hard because you want to say, yes, this is the camp I'm in. Wait, no, this is where I'm at. Because you, you wrestle with the spiritual aspect of freedom of religion and allowing any religion to have the same weight and the same voice and the same, um, driving force to move policy forward. And seeing there there can be a really great harm to us society in that happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like if another religion is is the dominating religion all of a sudden and and the ethics and um morality of our country changes, like that's a problem. But 
you also see if you eliminate religious freedom, our lives and our freedom to express our religion could very much be at stake. But there are a lot of Christians in the world that are living that way. Just because they are doesn't mean I want us to, but it is also to say that the kingdom of God is far greater than limiting religious expression. Yeah, and I think even uh, beyond just religious liberty as kind of this self-preservation of our own liberty as Christians, um, I think fundamentally the Christian faith, from our vantage point of followers of Jesus, it's like non-coercive. It's non-compulsory. It's invitational. Uh, now, obviously, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back with an iron fist, and all all will be brought to subjection underneath him. Um, but that's his job. Until that time, it's not our job to impose our religion on somebody else, but to invite them. And where we do have sway, I think we we shouldn't be campaigning, frankly, for something like the Ten Commandments outside of a state capitol building. Um, I think that that ventures towards to the realm canceled. of of <laughs> going more yeah. towards a Christian nationalistic thing. Uh, when we could be spending those efforts rather than having that symbol of like, yes, you know, this hollow symbol that we are Christians, that we would actually have tangible symbols that we're Christians because we're advocating for things that are going to benefit the most amount of people in the nation. And I think to that extent, uh, we can thank the Satanic Temple for uh, kind of bringing that to bear and that hypocrisy to bear in a lot of us. It's like, hey, maybe we should really reevaluate where we're putting our efforts, uh, not in a civil religion, but in uh a, a true religion to use the words of James that um, is really going to be for the benefit of all people, Christians and non-Christians alike. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kinosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.